Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Thanks for being here. So glad you're here. Yes. Well, we only have 30 minutes, so here's what I want to do. For the first half of our time together, I just want to make sure we all understand what the gospel is, what it means to live it out, and what it means to be ministers of the gospel. And then we'll take the second half and talk about anything that came to your mind because of what I was talking about there. And then we'll talk about the Daniel series if you want, and then anything you want. I've been teaching theology and philosophy and apologetics for a long time. I'm a dad. Here's my, here's my family. You can see that's my wife of 34 years, my amazing four kids who I love deeply, who are amazing. So I'm a dad. I am a, a husband. I'm most of all a follower of Jesus. I'm a pastor at Grace Evangelical Free Church in La Mirada where I've been a pastor for 24 years, and I'm a theology professor at Biola University where I've been doing it the same amount of time. So I want to make the most of our time. I've been getting to do this all summer, and it's been amazing. So let me pray, and then we'll get rolling. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the joy of being forgiven, adopted, declared righteous children of yours. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand what the good news is and what it means to live that out and minister as ministers of the gospel more because we gather for these few minutes together on a Wednesday morning up here in the beautiful mountains of the Sierras. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So here is a verse. If I had to pick one verse, it could be lots, but here's the one I would pick if I really wanted to try to get the heart of the gospel across to us. Here's what it is. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. There's so much packed in there. First of all, it's all Jesus. The reason we are able to be brought to God, which is the goal of the good news, it's not just to get us forgiven and righteous and in a better place, it's to bring us to God, which is the best place. And so we have this incredible good news that Jesus, and Jesus alone, suffered once. In other words, he paid for our sins through his life of self-sacrificial service and his perfect sacrificial death on a cross. He paid for our sins. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've thought, no matter what sin is emblematic of who you are in your mind often, especially when Satan's accusing you, Jesus paid for that sin once and for all. Never needed to do it again. We don't need to add anything to it, contribute to it, make ourselves worthy of it, earn it, prove it. He did it. And he also didn't just die for us, he lived for us. That's really important. Jesus didn't just die in the manger for our sins. No, he lived a full human lifespan of 33 years living righteously, obeying God every time I disobeyed, he obeyed in my place. And so his righteousness becomes mine. His sacrificial death is the penalty for my sin. And how do I avail myself to that? Through faith. Faith in Jesus. It means turning from my sin and myself, my rubbish with nothing to offer God, turning from that useless effort to earn anything before God and waiting, putting all my spiritual weight on Jesus. All of it. I lean on him completely, I rest in him completely, and his righteousness becomes mine. His death becomes mine, and his resurrection becomes ours as well by faith in him. It's simple childlike faith, that's what it is. Don't despise the simplicity of the gospel. That's what it is. 
It's Jesus in our place. And that changes everything. When you are a born-again, new creature in Christ through repentance and faith, everything changes forever. And Jesus isn't just a really important part of your life. He is your life. He's the source of your life in the beginning. He's the source of your life when he gives you new life in him. And he's the source of your eternal life forever with him and your abundant life that you have now. That's the gospel, as clearly as I can explain it. It all starts with you being made in God's image, an awesome creature of God. God made everything. When you see those mountains over King's Canyon, the deepest canyon in the lower 48, did you know that? The lowest, the deepest from top to bottom. When you see still snow on there, mid-July, because of the incredible winter we had. When you see these sequoia trees and these aspen trees, when you see these incredible creations of God, think... Everything is awesome. The Lego movie song was right. Everything is awesome. And you know what's the most awesome thing in creation? You are. We are. Human beings. And we're made for God. We're made for relationship with him more than anything else to glorify him with our lives. And the only way we can fulfill that human destiny is through Jesus. That's the gospel as clearly as I can lay it out there. And so... What does that mean then? How do we frame our lives? I think the best way to think about our lives as Christians, once we get that good news and start seeking to live it out, is a combination of what we call the great commandment and the great commission. The great commission is what? To make disciples of all nations, right? To be ministers of the gospel. We become disciples through saving faith, and then we become disciple makers, Jesus doesn't just save you to save you. He saves you to become an instrument of ministry to other people so that they become disciples too in his authority, like this passage says, in the Great Commission. In, in making disciples of all nations, not just little people groups, but this is intended for everyone. And it's, it's done in the power of the Spirit as we baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and as we teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. But we need to com combine the great commission with the great commandment. The great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says all the law and all that the prophets said hang on those two commands. That's the summary of it. And so as we live our lives in Christ-like self-sacrificial service, loving others because he first loved us, we are fulfilling the great commandment to love God and love other people as we fulfill the great commission as ministers of the gospel. So what does it mean to be ministers of the gospel? These two verses from Colossians just really get at the heart of what gospel ministry looks like. God saves you to become a priest and not just a child. God saves you to become a warrior in his army, not just a forgiven sinner. God saves you so that you become a powerfully used minister of the gospel. And these two verses in Colossians 1, 28 and 29 have been so helpful to me in understanding what it means for me to be a gospel minister. It says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then Paul says, for this this presenting everyone mature in Christ, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. 
Well, let's walk through this one at a time. First, it says, him we proclaim. So Christian ministry is about Christ. I've noticed something really wild. As I've done ministry for all these years, I've realized that ministry can be done in a way where it's not really about Jesus. Oh, I can even be saying the right words like it's all about Jesus. But in the way we can go about it, it's really all about how awesome I am or how awesome we are because we got this figured out. And it can be a very human-centered, self-absorbed way of doing ministry where it's done in the flesh, not the spirit. It's done for our own glory, not for God's. And it's not going to last in, into eternity. It's not going to add up to anything of lasting value. And so it's got to be about Jesus, ruthlessly, explicitly, starting with our hearts. Here's the tough part of that. I can stand up here and preach to you and say it's all about Jesus, but I can do it in a way where the overwhelming message is, well, he's awesome, or we're awesome, or we're cool, or, or whatever it is. I got to tell you, I moved here from the Northeast. I grew up in Connecticut for 28 years before I lived in Chicago for seven and then out in Southern California for 24, but I moved from from the northeast from Connecticut to Southern California. And, and when I moved, I couldn't believe how different the Christian church experience was than what I grew up with. Do you know the average size of a church in the northeast of the United States is about 65 people? Just a fraction of who we have in here. Isn't that amazing? And when I moved to Southern California, I would ask people, hey, where do you go to church? And almost every time, they wouldn't tell me where they went to church. They'd say, oh, I go to Tommy Jones's church, the pastor, the dude, right? Or the, the well-known worship leader or something. And I would say, who? And they would wonder if I was actually a Christian because I didn't know their celebrity pastor. And, you know, in the Northeast, we don't have smoke machines. We, we don't have cool worship leaders with $400 haircuts. What we have, we have... Aunt Sadie playing the piano the best she can. And, and a good old preacher that wouldn't impress anybody on a podcast preaching his guts out to the people he knows and loves. Now, I'm not faulting big churches. I am not faulting well-known influential pastors. There are plenty of phenomenal ones. And so I, I'm not saying that. But it's so easy to get into a celebrity culture where it's all about the ministry or the dude, or this kind of music, or this way of doing it, or this strategy, or this way of thinking. And you know what gets lost? Jesus. Jesus gets lost. And so it's got to be about him, Christ-centered. You can never be too Christ-centered if you do it in a biblical way. Here's, here's why I say that. If you, if you hold Jesus up, if he's your driving passion more than anything else, even close in life, then here's what happens. He brings you to the Father, right? Like that passage we looked at in Peter. He brings you to the Father. And what does the Father do then? He says, behold, my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. If you want a deepening relationship with me, depend on the Son. Look at the Son. Behold my glory in his face. And you know what the Son says? You better depend on the Spirit. Before he gave that great commission... He says, all authority's been given to me. We go in his authority. 
After he gives that, he says, you go fulfill the Great Commission, but don't you move a muscle until the Spirit comes in power, just like he did on Pentecost, or else everything we do will be useless. And so we're utterly Spirit-dependent. And when we depend on the Spirit, you know what the Bible says he does? Exalts Jesus. And Jesus brings us to the Father, and the Father points us to the Son, and the Son says, depend on the Spirit, and the Spirit exalts Christ. And it's this wonderful Trinitarian economy, this, this way God works. And the better we understand the gospel, the better we understand Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect unity, working together for their own glory and for our good. And so, him we proclaim. The other word I want you to notice is proclaim. It's not him we share, him we swap stories about, him we give our testimony about only. No, we preach Christ. We proclaim Christ. The words in the New Testament for what we do verbally with the good news are strong, bold, confident words like preach, proclaim, declare, and announce. I know we live in a culture that doesn't give you much permission to have a lot of conviction about Jesus. But please realize that in our culture, you get to have conviction about lots of other things. Why not Jesus? I mean, it's amazing how passionate people I know can be about their favorite sports team or their favorite band or Taylor Swift or, or uh, their hobby, the thing they're really into, or their girlfriend or their boyfriend or, or their political views or whatever it is. Their favorite video game. I mean, they're passionate about it. And they'll preach to you about how awesome it is. If you don't appreciate how awesome it is, you're an idiot. You know, I worked construction for a long time. And I was a commercial diver for a long time. I played football for, for 14 years. And then I played competitive flag football after that for 20. And so I ran with a lot of rough characters. And I would notice when I was a young guy in those environments, I was with these, these big, tough, a lot of times older dudes. And, and I would want to tell them about Jesus, and I'd find myself being timid. But then I thought about it, and I think, you know what? These guys make fun of me because I don't look at pornography. These guys think I'm an idiot because I'm not sleeping with my girlfriend. These guys think I'm an idiot because I don't go with them and get drunk on the weekends. And they say, what's wrong with you, kid? What's your problem? What, are you scared? I mean, they, they try to mock me into following their lead in this. And I'm timid about Jesus, the one who can save them from their sin and from eternal hell. That, that is nonsense. People are evangelistic with boldness about immorality. And Christians are timid. I know, I know the culture tell us, tells us that we're a bunch of Bible thumpers and overzealous as Christians. Is that true, guys? No. Nah. Our problem is we're way too timid, right? We're intimidated. It's time for Christians to stand up and be bold about what we believe and preach Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone. Warning? Warning them about what? When you hear warning language in the Bible, it's almost always talking about judgment day. The gospel, the good news, comes with this message of a God who's holy and just and righteous. A, a God who will judge the world one day. The Christian worldview is linear. It's not cyclical like Eastern religions where you're constantly, you're never-endingly reincarnated and karma comes back and bites you or doesn't. Or, it, it's just, it's not this horrible never-ending cycle. It's linear. Here's how the Bible puts it. It is appointed a man once to die. And then to face the judgment. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God one day. Everyone. 
Everyone, believers and unbelievers. Believers in Jesus will be free of any penalty, of any judgment on that day in our person. Unbelievers will be judged for who they are because they've decided to go it alone without the covering blood of Jesus. But believers will be judged for our works. Did we store up treasures in heaven or just here where everything gets destroyed? Did we, did we live so that what we have to show for our lives at the end of it all will be enduring because it was done in the spirit for the glory of God? Or will be, will be like, hey, chaff that just burns up at the end? I want a life that lasts. A life that matters. And so we need to include a message of warning. There is judgment coming. And there's hell to pay if you live as your own God instead of under the authority of the true God. I know we don't want to be those hellfire and brimstone Christians who just preach nothing but hell. We don't want to be those guys. But I don't meet many of them. I think they're like 15 who live in Idaho and are at the end of the Rose Parade, you know, every year. Right? With carrying signs saying God hates you, right? I don't think those guys are a problem. Let's not be so afraid of being lumped with them that we don't talk about the linear view of Christian history where we're heading to Judgment Day. Don't let your friends think Jesus is just a self-help coach. He'll save you from eternal judgment. So warning everyone, and what else? Teaching everyone. That means there's content to our ministry. We've done the hard work to know what we're talking about. We read scripture, we memorize scripture, we meditate on scripture, we talk about scripture, we dive into the word of God so we know the word so we're more than a half a question deep in what we believe. You know, I talk to people all the time about what they believe. I love finding out what people believe. And I ask them, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus? What do you think the meaning of life is? Do you think your life is fulfilling that meaning? I, people love to be asked those questions, by the way. And it's amazing to me how people usually have something to say. You know, I think, you know, God is an energy, and I tap into that energy, and I think, I pray, but prayer is like releasing energy into the cosmos, and, and I believe the universe has your back, whatever that means, especially when the digital clock says 1111, have anybody say that to you? It's 1111, the universe has your back. I've had friends say that to me, and I say, what in the world are you talking about? And you know what? They usually have no idea. They don't know. They can't tell you what God is an energy means. And then I'll say, where are you getting that? And they don't know. A lot of times, I know where they got it. You got it from an Oprah Winfrey book that she wrote a while back, an article in her magazine about God being an energy. I think that's where you got it. It seeped into you somehow. Or is that 10th grade English teacher who was really influential on you? You know, really got a hold of you. Or you read some Freud or Marx or Dewey or somebody that really grabbed a hold of you that's the framework of the society, and it's become your worldview. Question your worldview. We need to be deep people who know what we're talking about because we've done the hard work to know what we're talking about. So we can teach. You know, Paul, uh, Paul the writer of the Hebrews, rebukes the, the Hebrew church because he says, by now you should be teaching, but you're still on milk. Have content. Be people of depth and substance. Don't skim along the surface like a bunch of scuba divers, a bunch of snorkelers, but be scuba divers intellectually. Think about what we believe. And then it says we do this with all wisdom. We don't just blurt out what may be true. We ask questions. Ministers are good question askers. We're genuinely, lovingly curious about people and what they think and what's going on in their lives. So we ask questions. I remember I had a conversation for 20 minutes with a guy. And I tried to convince him for 20 minutes to believe in God. And he finally got a word in edgewise. And he says, oh, I believe in God. I don't know why you've been going on like this. Well, that would have been good to know. 
just wasted 20 minutes. We could have gone downstream and started this conversation, but I wasn't a perceptive and kind enough person to listen to what the guy thought. And so let's ask good questions so that we can contextualize our ministries and do it wisely, depending on the context, the culture, the subculture we may be part of, the person we're talking to. We do it with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Uh, again, on Judgment Day, what, do we, what will we have to show for our lives? I think anything you do for the glory of God, from a beautiful painting to, to playing your sport, to playing an instrument, to using your sense of humor in a God-honoring way that blesses people, to using your relational ability, your physical strength, whatever it is God gives you, your sexuality, your, your recreation time, your money, whatever it is he gives you, do you use it for his glory? I think that pleases God. I think that is a ministry in itself. But what you want is all those things and your gospel proclamation to lead to people who didn't know him to know him who otherwise wouldn't have. And you want people to be more mature in Christ who do know him because of the influence you have in your life, you have in their life. On Judgment Day, you want to say there are people here, and I think most of us will be stunned by the way God used us even in the subtle things because I want you to notice the everyone's. Him we proclaim warning everyone, teaching everyone that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That means there's a comprehensiveness to this. People who are close to you for long periods of time and people you interact with in passing. I have a friend who walked, was walking to work. He had all kinds of work to do and all kinds of things in his mind. And he walked by this woman on his way into this office building. And she looked really, really sad. And, and he was prompted to go and talk to her. And try to encourage her because of how sad she looked. And, and she, he, he, just, he walked into the building and said, I don't have time. And the, the spirit just wouldn't let him go in. So he went out and he encouraged this woman for just a few minutes. Never saw her again. He found out five years later that she was contemplating taking her own life that day. And that interaction with him for just a few minutes, somebody who cared enough to stop, was a matter of life and death. Let's never minimize how God wants to use us, even in passing, even with a God bless you, even with a smile, but most certainly with intentional ministry in our lives to other people, in the everyone's that God brings to our lives. And Paul says it's hard work. Just know going in, it's hard work. It's toil, it's struggle. Paul was a tent worker. And when you hear tent, don't, for Paul, don't think what you buy at REI. Think leather worker, blacksmith, blue collar, sweat, grime, grit, fires, bashing his thumb. He's, and he says, ministry is harder than all that. For this I toil, struggling. But don't forget how it ends in a spirit-dependent way with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's what it's all about. Spirit-dependent, spirit-filled, spirit-anointed ministry. And you, dear ones, will be astounded at the way God wants to use you and is able to use you in the lives of other people to do awesome, eternity-making difference. I promise you, if you depend on the Spirit and become word-saturated people, God will use you beyond your wildest imagination. That's all I got. All right, what do you want to talk about? Questions about what I was just talking about? Hey, what's up, handsome? <laughs> are, you, are you working this week? Oh, nice. Look at you, just back, and you're hitting, yeah, way to go.
That's a fantastic question, Jacob. So, Jacob said, how do we surrender that spirit-enabled ability? That's a phenomenal question. And the ability to discern and depend and know that starts with asking that question. Because we default to what comes naturally and most easily. And when we try to do good with that, it typically means we operate out of what we're talented by and, and have experience in or are good at or recognized for. But a, the problem with that is the Spirit most of the time biblically uses us out of our weakness. So don't just look for opportunities to serve where you're just going to be able to hit your stride right away. Because God's constantly saying, nope, I got something for you that's going to get to the end of yourself. And then you're going to have to depend on the Spirit. It doesn't, it's not wrong to operate about what comes easily and naturally, but, but don't just look for opportunities to accentuate your talents. Because here's a huge problem related to what I was saying before. The American church rewards charisma way more than character. It rewards talent way more than integrity. And we can play into that. Don't play into that. Don't do it. And, and depend on the Spirit and, and ask Him to show you the difference. Ask Him to say, because hey, I do, I'll, I walk regularly, walk out of times like this where I'm teaching. And I say, Lord, that seemed to be effective. People were affirming. They seemed to like it. It seemed to be helpful. But Lord, were you pleased with it? Because that's what I really care about. Lord, was I just full of the Spirit or was I full of myself? I need to know the difference, Lord. The first thing I need is the discernment to know the difference between being spirit-dependent and filled and enabled and Eric-fulfilled, dependent and enabled. He needs to show me the difference between those things. And I can usually tell. I can usually tell. Ah, it was a self-serving story. You just wanted him to think you were funny. My son listens to me preach all the time. I have four great kids. But my son Sam went to Pondy one time after listening to me preach for years. And he came home and he said, Dad, our Pondy speaker's way funnier than you are. And I, was, and I said, oh, I can do funny, Sam. I just decide not to because I don't want to distract from how serious all this stuff is all the time. And there's nothing wrong with funny, and I do funny. But, man, it's amazing what we can play to. To, again, getting back to what I was saying, making about how cool, funny, interesting, whatever it is. And, and so... So think, think about what the difference is between spirit dependence and flesh dependence. And the word is the way we discern that fundamentally as the spirit works through it as we become men and women of the word. You can't be a discerning Christian if you don't know the word of God. Great question. I hope that helps. You got a follow-up? All right. What do you got? Tell me your name. Josh. Josh. Right, so listen, dear ones, can I plead with you to be minister? I give you hearts of ministers, which means you genuinely love people. You're curious about people. You care about people. You want to know their story. You want to know how God has worked up until now in their lives, even though if they're God-haters. You want to know people and love people in the desire to know them. And so that means you ask good questions. And you're not satisfied with Lakers weather questions. You ask questions like, hey, tell me about your family. Oh, your parents were divorced when you were five. That must have been really tough. And your dad left. What's your relationship with him like now? You haven't seen him in two years. That must be really tough. How do you deal with that? How, how do you handle that? 
you know what? I've had really hard things in my life too. Let me tell you how I handle them. I depend on Jesus because he changed everything for me. And it's not that hard. And it's not wrong to talk about Lakers and weather. It's important to be interested in those things too, but not for long. Let's, let's get to depth. Let's get to something. Have you ever spent 20 minutes with your friends, three hours with your friends, and you leave and you said, that added up to nothing? Did you do that all the time? Remember my son was in junior high, and, and I said, Sammy boy, are you a leader with your friends? He and his junior high buddies, oh, my goodness. It was nothing but just constant, just just making fun of each other and the, the, the idiots, right? And, and that's okay. All right, there, I got tolerance for some idiocy, right? I still got plenty in my life. But he'd come home, and I'd watch this go down, and I'd say, dude, are you taking leadership? Are you, did you guys talk about anything substance? I mean, most of your good friends are believers in Jesus. Did you say, hey, guys, what are you reading in your Bible? I say, Sam, I read your Bible. So, see you reading your Bible sometime. What, did you ever tell them, hey, here's what I learned in the Word this morning? Did you ever say, hey, how can I pray for you? Did you ever say, hey, what are you struggling with that, that we can pray about right now? Are you a minister among your junior high friends? And he would just say, oh, Dad, you know how hard that is can't do that. None of my friends do that. They, they think I'm a weirdo. So, some kind of pastor, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're ministers, right? Two years ago, he's a sophomore in high school. God just got a hold of his heart, and he was tired of the, the lame shallowness of his relationships with his friends. And he went to one friend, and he said, hey, we want to get together before school on Tuesdays at a coffee shop for just a half hour, read our Bible for a few minutes, talk about it, and pray. And he was like, oh, don't make me think I'm an idiot. And his friend said, yes, thank you for asking. I've been hoping somebody would take that kind of initiative. They got together. It was amazing. And, it's, and Sammy Boy was afraid people would find out about it and like, oh, what are you guys doing? And these are Christian guys. It's not even not unbelievers he's friends with, right? And they did find out. And they were all really mad. They didn't get invited. And they started their own. It was amazing how my son just stepping out and saying, all right, it shouldn't be that hard. And it isn't. It's not complicated. It's just saying, hey, let's pray. Let's read our Bibles. Let's stop talking about women in this dishonoring way and change the tone of this conversation. Hey, let's stop gossip. I think this just became gossip. Let's stop right now. It's just being a minister and leading people toward God in a holiness direction instead of just shallow nonsense. Yeah? It's not hard. Ministry's never been complicated. Never been easy. But it's never been complicated. One more question. Yeah, tell me your name. Maddie. Hi, Maddie. I can't hear you, Maddie. I got 59-year-old ears. Oh, they get offended. Yeah, that's honestly my first question. Jesus says, the world hates, hated me. The world's going to hate you. Just know it's part of the deal, Maddie. Now, Maddie, I, I just I got a little sense of who you are just in just watching you for a few seconds and hear you answer that question. Maddie, the fact that you asked that question means you don't need to worry about that. Right? If you're concerned about offending people, you have a sweet gentleness to you that I bet gives you all kinds. I'm serious. I'm, I, am I wrong, people who know Maddie? Am I wrong? Yeah, I see. Yeah. And, and you don't need to worry about that. Guys like me need to worry about it. You don't need to. And most Christians I meet don't need to worry about offending people. You've got a sweetness to you that people are going to pick up immediately like I did, and you have a lot of relational capital in that. Nobody's going to think you're beating them up, Maddie. And, and so most of us are asking that question instead of saying, why aren't I more bold? 
And like I said, you know, my, my construction friends, my football friends, they had no problem being bold about immorality. We shouldn't be having problems about being bold about Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for these precious young women and men who uh, are just sitting there locked in, and I'm grateful for it, Lord, and I pray that you'd be working powerfully in their lives, drawing them to you, and using them in ways that has an impact for generations and echoes into eternity. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. You're beautiful.